My name is Amber. I'll be reading from Mark 9, 2 through 13 today. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they please, as it is written of him. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to be with you. Um, the reason I'm here, well, there's a lot of reasons, but Derek, a long time ago, said, you need to come to our church, and I was going to a sister church, but I was working with international students, and usually I was the only white guy in the room. Um, not only really, actually, after I left Christ's Covenant, working with international uh, movements, particularly in persecuted countries, I'd be a travel agent and take people to see the Book of Acts. I went the first time in 2002, and as I came back, the head of missions for our denomination was in the church, and he told his wife after the sermon, he's going to quit that church in two weeks. I was a mess. I went back to the church and said, I'm not even, a, I don't think, I said it in the pulpit. Of course, I said a lot of inappropriate things in the pulpit, because I don't really have a filter, so if it comes in my head, so I want to apologize in advance for that, but I told the church, we think we're a big church, I mean a good church, because we're big and we've planted a lot of churches, and I guess this is our granddaughter church, and, but I don't even know if I'm a Christian. After seeing what God's doing through these Chinese believers that love, they love the prison guards that beat them. They love their enemies. They don't really talk about the government much because there'd be only one thing they could say that it's evil, that it's oppressive, and that continues today. But they believe the king is greater than that. And they believe that one day, every government will bow. And frankly, as Isaiah 40 says, the nations are a drop in the bucket. And the United States of America is like dust on a scale. These last two years, I've been raging at the TV as I looked at the political situation and the, raci the racial divisions and just murders and all kinds of ugliness and the evangelicals getting off message, talking and thinking like we can fix this world through a particular party, wh whichever one that was. One day when my wife said to me, do you ever think of what I'm doing while you're yelling at the TV? 
Honestly, I said no. Fortunately, she was praying for me. Several years ago, I got immensely convicted about my lack of caring for the underserved in Charlotte. They did a study, um, Charlotte did, after the Pew Foundation did a survey of the, t of the worst 50 cities in terms of helping the poor. Guess who was last? We were. Guess who had the most churches on that list? We did. Guess who did nothing for the poor in Charlotte? Well, maybe we had a deacon's fund of 200,000, but that usually went to the church. Y'all, I was just undone. So I got a bunch of marketplace leaders together because I don't think pastors are all that good. Nehemiah built the wall, right? He was a marketplace leader. Ezra's job was to pray and bring the word. And they started freedom communities. And so now, years later, um, I still work with international students, particularly from China and, Viet and, and the Middle East and India. But I work with ministries, and we start gospel communities on universities not only here, but around the globe. Because if we reach internationals, particularly from those countries, we have a whole army of indigenous missionaries. And one of the things I did with Freedom Communities, I started it out of repentance, but I wanted to take the Chinese students to see what Christianity is. This is what Isaiah 58, and by the way, this is introduction, so sorry, I know I'm preaching. But... Isaiah 58, and that's what we call um, the ministry I'm with, Isaiah 58 Partners. Is not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke and let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Isn't, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you, by the way, it's not the government's job to care for the poor. It's ours. Why don't we help? Because we pay taxes, or the church is supposed to do it. Anyway, when you see the naked, you clothe them, and you don't hide yourself from your own people. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn. Then you will be glorious, and your healing shall spring up speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord will not only go before you, but it will be your rear guard. And we're going to talk this morning about the glory of God. I have never preached on the transfiguration. I preached on the birth of Christ. I've preached on the life of Christ. I've preached on the death of Christ. I've preached on the resurrection of Christ. I've preached on the ascension of Christ. Not the transfiguration. Where does it fit? In Catholic and traditional churches, they celebrate it twice a year in August and some other time. They don't know where to put it. Josh, last week, talked about the question, who is Jesus? Who do people say I am? That's what the transfiguration's about. In between Peter's confession, actually the blind man seeing, and then Peter's confession, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, and then Jesus' declaration. Do you remember what it was? The son of man 
is going to be ridiculed. He's going to be made fun at. The, one, the Lord of glory with no shame is going to be shamed. He's going to be tortured. He's going to die on a cross. And that's coming soon. And yes, he'll rise again. But then he goes from there, Jesus, to say, Peter, of course, says, no, 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 Lord, you're skipping the cross. People don't like the cross, right? We want to skip it. That's what Satan said to Jesus. Hey, skip the cross. Just worship me. Just do this. Just do that. And I'll be your assistant. You can have it all. Just skip the cross. And then Jesus tells us, if we're going to follow him, we need to take up his cross. How often? Daily. So instead of Tom Henry railing at the TV, maybe I should pray for the people I'm looking at. Maybe I should believe the gospel, that the gospel can change Donald Trump or Joe Biden not that it hasn't, but, or anyone, or the people January 6th, how do we look at them? Through the eyes of Jesus? As potential glory bearers? You see, friends, it's so easy to forget the gospel. It's so easy to look at people with human eyes and to quit looking at our own sin. Blessed are those that mourn. They mourn for their own sin, not others. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. And what Paul says at the end of his ministry, not that he's the least of the apostles, but he is the what? Chief of sinners. We don't really believe that. I don't believe I'm a chief of sinners. But I am. Ibrahim said it well when he started about fathers. You know what the problem with fathers in the world is? Me. So let's now look at, before we get into the text, I want to share three people that have made uh, immense difference in my life on this topic of glory, and it's my favorite topic. We talk about justification. What, what does justification mean? Saved from sin. What does sanctification mean? Saved from the presence of sin from one degree of glory for the next. But the thing we don't talk about is glorification. We think of it as something in heaven rather than what's going on now. And the transfiguration is about directing our eyes towards not only Jesus' heavenly glory as his humanity, mm, as his inward deity shines forth and breaks forth through his skin, as the disciples see that, they begin to become glorious or more glorious. 75 years ago, actually 80, two weeks ago, June 6th, C.S. Lewis ascended the pulpit of the University Church, St. Mary in Oxford, and he delivered my favorite sermon. You can look at it online, The Weight of Glory. This is what he said. 
If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels to us, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink, sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what a holiday is at the sea, the offer of a holiday, that is. We are too, far too easily pleased. Most of us get our glory on a weekly or monthly basis through football or through watching it. Because we make the assumption that this is our team. That when they win, we win. And we have our, our imagination, not sanctified, mind you. And by the way, I like football. I used to play it. I like it. And the Philadelphia Eagles, if you're a Philadelphia fan, you can worship them. And I've been guilty. Super Bowl was like the greatest day of my life. Mm-mm. Probably got more excited about the Eagles winning that than all year about God. We think that when we watch them and they win, we're on the team. And that glory comes over to us. We're far too easily pleased. So Lewis talks about the promises of God, and this is what he does. He boils down the promises of God to us in five things. See if you would see if you agree. Number one, that we will be with Christ. Right? Isn't that the greatest promise of all? Christ in us, the hope of glory. That we are with him now. That you no longer have to go to the Holy of Holies indirectly. That we will be like Christ. Do you believe that? That we will be Fed or feasted or entertained. That's what we're going to do in heaven. We like doing it here. I love how this church cooks. We will be entertained at the marriage supper of the land. Fourth, we will be glorious. Or we are glorious. And fifth, we'll have an official position in the universe. Executive pastor, maybe. I don't know. But we'll reign over the world. Lewis goes on to say to please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not pitied, to be delighted in. Do you believe that God delights in you right now? Hmm? Because if he doesn't delight in you, you will never delight in him. If he's not an amazing father to you, you will never be an amazing son or a father to anyone else. If he doesn't shine his glory on you, you won't be able to glorify him and enjoy him forever. If he doesn't make the first move, if he doesn't come to you, you will never be able to sing the song, Jesus, I come to you. And that's what the transfiguration's about. Jesus, in his humanity, he wasn't human all the time. He came That's what the birth is. And he took on not just the form of humanity, he became human. 
just like us, the perfect human, to take our place at the cross. So when he died, we died. We share in his humanity, and he's called our brother, right? We're his brother. And as God, he paid the penalty because a human being, even if we were perfect, God wouldn't know us anything. He wouldn't know us heaven. And we certainly in our death couldn't help anybody else, but Jesus was a God-man. And he descended into hell. God turned his back on God. Explain that. We are delighted in as an artist delights his work or a father his son. True mark of fatherhood, by the way, is when you delight in your children more than you. And when they go out for a sports team, it's not all about them glorifying you. You let them play whatever they want or go into any career because you care about them more than your own glory. We carry in us a weight of glory. So, I want to see today, as we look to Christ, and as we see his glory, what I want to do is I want to see several things. Number one, as we see the glory of Christ, we become like him. The only way for you and I to change is to look at Christ. How many hours a day or minutes a day do we spend in fellowship with God, looking and listening to him? And so the message for us is to see God. And how do we do that? We stop what we're doing or thinking. We look at him through the word, through a sermon, through listening to a brother or sister, or even looking at creation. And we listen and we ask God to speak. It's as we do that, not only individually, but collectively in our families, which used to be, along with the church, the heart of transforming a culture. You want to transform a culture, worship God at church and your family and alone. And listen to him. Then I want us to see that we share in the very glory of Christ. We share in his glory. And finally, we are to shine his glory that's in us to our neighbors near and far. And anyone is our neighbor, everyone we encounter. So I want to look at the text. Now, you know Mark 9 is only one of the passages that look at the transfiguration. So each passage in Matthew and Luke have a different element to share. We could look at this transfiguration all our lives. Look at what we see. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain. God takes us into his glory. Make no mistake, we don't go there on our own strength. God's got to open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts to see the glory of God. Do you believe that? That means you should not be arrogant that you believe and other people don't. You should say, there but the grace of God go I. Because even our faith is a gift from God, right? And their unbelief is tragic. But they are not worse than us, no matter what the sin is. 
And historically, the evangelical church has looked down on all kinds of people, not just the race, but their deeds, thinking they were better than themselves. So he takes them up to the mountain, and as Luke says, they came up the mountain and Jesus was praying. Mark does not. And all of a sudden, Moses, that's Moses on the right. I don't know if you recognize him. And that's Elijah on the left. And Jesus, look, I was looking at this, and I was looking for a black Jesus. Okay? I couldn't find it. And it would have been offensive to all kinds of people, you know? So I didn't really want that anyway. But Jesus isn't white. He is white, actually. And what happens is Jesus is transformed into pure whiteness. This is what I read. Do you realize that we're not, I'm not white, I'm pale. Every white person on this planet is not white. We should quit calling them white. We should call, call whites pale because that's what we are, right? What did we used to be called by the Indians? Pale face. You're with me? Nobody's laughing, but it's true. White has all the colors, and it's pure, and it's blinding, and Jesus is transfigured, and Peter, James, and John fall on their face. By the way, before this, they were sleeping. Isn't that great? Six-mile walk, transfiguration starts. What are the apostles doing? Sleeping. Have you ever slept through a sermon? Y'all wake up in the back. We are a mess, y'all. God speaks to us, and then we ignore him for three months because we're too busy. We don't stop. We don't look. We don't listen. But they wake up. They wake up. And Moses and Elijah are looking at Jesus. And do you know what they're talking about? Anybody know? Just raise, raise your hand. Does anybody know? I got to tell you, I'm so convicted. I have spent my life looking at this word, and I just discovered something. Moses, the scriptures tell us what Moses and Jesus were talking about, but I'm not going to tell you right now. That'll be later. Let's look at Moses. Why is he here? Because he's the lawgiver. He's the lawgiver, and he is the one really, that sees God first. Abraham saw him in a sense. Noah saw him in a sense, but not really like Moses. And I will look at three passages that talk about how Moses encounters God and how he stops and looks and listens. Exodus 19, 17 to 21. This is when Moses is given the law. And the people of God are standing around Moses, but they're at the bottom of the mountain, and they can't move any farther because if they see God, even the glory of God in the glory cloud, they will be destroyed. That's how terrible God is in the old-fashioned word. Then Moses brought the people from among the tents to meet God. They stood at the base of the mountain. Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord came down upon it in fire 
Put yourself in the story, y'all. That's every passage in the scripture. We got to put ourselves in the story. This isn't reading history. This is communing with God. And God wants to talk to us personally. The smoke went up like the smoke of a stove. The whole mountain shook. The sound of the horn became louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. Wow. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai, came down to the top of the mountain. The Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and he went up. Just like here. You see the resemblance in the transfiguration? Then the Lord said to Moses, go down and tell the people not to break through to look at the Lord. For them, many of them will be destroyed. Even the priests, even Aaron couldn't go up. And it was only at the crucifixion of Christ that you and I could go into his presence physically as the veil was torn in two of the temple. And you could go now into the Holy of Holies. The second passage, after Moses sees this, he says to God, and this is my prayer for us, that we would say this every day, every time we read the scripture, every time we preach, every time we talk to one another. Moses said, show me your glory. Huh. When's the last time he said that to God? Show me your glory. Yo, this is the business we're in. Show me your glory. Because if I don't see it, I'm going to get worse. I'm not going to change. Because only when I look at you do I become more like you. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. God's glory is his goodness, y'all. Isn't that great? It's not ugliness. It's goodness. It's not hatred. It's love. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim my glory before you. My name, the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But you cannot see my face. For no man can see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you can stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of a rock, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let my hide myself in Nate's, my dad's favorite hymn. And I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Later it says Moses is one who spoke to God face by face. You know why? Because God sanctified Moses' eyes and strengthened them. Do you know why you and I will need heavenly bodies in heaven? Because we couldn't be there for one second. We couldn't stand the glory of God. Do you know why people will have hellish bodies in hell? Because they couldn't stand the shame and the alienation for one second. That's a terrible thing to say. But if we don't understand the reality of hell, not just on earth, we won't appreciate the glory of heaven. Thirdly, 
the Lord descended. This is when God showed up. Exodus 34. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him. That's Moses. And proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Steadfast. It never goes away for the believer. Amen. And faithfulness. When we lose our faithfulness, when we don't look at the glory of God, guess what? God still looks at us with love in his heart. And he still says, the one who bore you and began a good work in you, I will perfect it. When you don't look at the glory of God, you don't lose your salvation. You miss the blessing. That's conditional. Salvation's not. Every time you open the word and hear his voice, and I mean not hearing his voice through Josh or Howard, that's fine. God's called us to do this, but there is nothing like sitting alone with God and having God meet you, just you, and whispering to you, and taking some word that's obscure that you've never heard and giving you a sermon in your heart that you've never even imagined or you've ever heard about. God will do that to you all the time if you sit at his feet and listen to his voice. I, in all my years of Christ's covenant, never preached one sermon on listening to God. You know why? Because Presbyterians believe we only hear God here, and really we go to church to learn, not to meet. I like being around the charismatic. They're serious about meeting God. Y'all need to go visit, okay, a few. And in, in China, they didn't have any Bibles. They had half a book of Mark. Guess what? God spoke to them. Two-thirds of the Arab Christians become Christians in a dream and a vision. When have you ever prayed for one? Huh? God, it's okay. It's good theology. God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Abounding and loving our kids for all the generations to come. He saves families. Elijah, the great prophet, the great prophet. Do you remember the story? He, he's in the battle with Baal and Ahab and Jezebel, and he gets in a contest, and it's the prophets of Baal versus Elijah. Just one versus 800. I think that's the number. And he calls down fire from heaven for the sacrifice, a burnt offering. But the bad prophets try all day. They cut themselves, they plead, and nothing happens. Elijah takes water, pours it over the altar, just to basically show this ain't going to happen by lightning. Only God can do this. God devours the altar. But it's not over. 
Ahab tells Jezebel, who's really a wicked woman, and she says, I'm going to kill Elijah. May I be cursed if he doesn't die by the end of the day. So Elijah runs 100 miles. That's a pretty long run for an old man. I don't know how old he was. And he gets to this place exhausted, and he goes out, and we sang it in our hymn, he wants to die. Just lays down to die. And he says to God, you can take me now. I'm done. Have you ever felt that? We just sang it today. Have you ever felt like you're done? And you know what God does in those times? He rescues you and he feeds you because you can't feed yourself. You don't even want to pray. You don't want to eat. Listen, y'all, God saves us. Say it after me. God saves us. God saves me. God saves my children. We don't. We need more focus on God's salvation. Yes, we respond. And so Elijah leaves and God feeds him twice and he goes 40 days and 40 nights, which amazingly, it's a great number in the Bible. And this is what he says. The Lord comes to Elijah as he's still depressed. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Just like he said to Adam, where are you? What are you doing here? Wake up. Look at yourself. Look at me. And Elijah says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel's forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed the prophets, and with the sword, and guess what? I'm the only one left. You ever felt that? You're the only one left. And they seek my life to take it away. He's mad at God. And God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it into pieces. The rocks before the Lord, guess what? Just like Moses, shattered the mountains. But God wasn't in that. And then the wind came, right? The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Now, I remind you, with Moses, God was in all those things. And after the earthquake, fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, silence. Whisper. It's hard to translate in Hebrew. Listen, y'all, sometimes we expect God to speak in the thunder and the fire and the lightning. And when he doesn't, we don't hear his voice. And when we're broken and we only see darkness, whether it's politically or in race, we miss the voice of God. But he's still speaking in a whisper. We need to listen. We need to stop. And we need to look. Wow. John, the next one in our group, some people say he didn't talk about the transfiguration. But in actuality, he does. And we're going to skip some verses here so you don't even have to put them 
up there if you want. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's living. This is God. Yes, paper. But God's in this. No other book's like it. When you open it, it's God talking to you personally or collectively. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as the one and only. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. From his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Or how about Peter? Peter says this, we did not follow cleverly devised myths about Jesus. Josh talked about it last week. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were eyewitness of his majesty. Look, every time you open the word, you get to see the majesty of God. It is from Genesis to Revelation. And the more you see the majesty of God, the more your heart will be enlightened and the more your hearts will be satisfied and the more your hearts will be comforted and the more your minds will become clear. We don't look at God enough. We don't listen to him enough and we need to stop, look, and listen. My second point, it's going to be much quicker. When we see God's glory, we share in his glory. What does it mean to share in his glory? It means to become glorious. Peter says this, and it's an amazing verse. He says, we have the prophetic word made more fully confirmed. So pay attention It's a light shining in a dark place. Pay attention until the morning star arises in your heart. You know what the morning star is? It's so bright you can see it in the morning. That's what God's doing in you and me. John says this, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He came to his own. His own didn't receive him. He came to the world. His own did not recognize him. But guess what? Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian today, has come to you and he's given you eyes to not only recognize, but he's given you a heart to receive. And every day, when you look at him, you receive more of him. Do you hear what I'm saying? When you look at this, you ask God to show you your glory. You stop what you're doing You get your mind clear, and you ask God to get your mind clear. And even if you're confused at first, you keep seeking God and asking him to show you that he is your shepherd. And when he does, things change. A transfiguration happens in your life. I want you to see something. You see the cloud right there? Well, it's just sort of over Jesus, but not really. It's over them, too. Moses and Elijah are in the glory cloud with Jesus and they are transformed as they look at him. And this is still the Old Testament, so to speak. How much more are we glorified right now? Do you realize we're glorious? My favorite passage in the Bible 
It's 2 Corinthians 3.18. I think I've preached on that here. It says this. Since we have such a hope, a hope in seeing God and becoming like him, we are very bold. When Moses came down from the mountain, he hid his glory. It was shining. He was reflecting the glory. But now we have complete freedom. It says this. Where the freedom of the Lord is, there's life. But where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, no covering, not, well, we have veiled faces right now. Never thought we'd see that day. But imagine if it was over your eyes and you couldn't see anything I was saying. We all, with unveiled faces, unveiled eyes, and open ears, are beholding as in a mirror the glory of God. And are being metamorphosized, transfigured into his glory from one degree of glory to the next. Do you realize every single day we are becoming more like Christ? That's the message. And if we really believe that, it'll change all of our dealings. There's another way you can translate the word behold. It means reflect. We are reflecting as in a mirror the glory of God, and we are being metamorphosized from one degree of glory to the next. Do you know what our mission is in this life? It's to reflect the glory of God to the nations. This is what C.S. Lewis says. It may be possible for us to think too much of his own glory. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or deeply about the glory of his neighbor. And who's our neighbor? Anyone we meet. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory, whatever party they are, whatever their prejudice is, the load or weight of burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. That's us, partakers of the divine nature, like God, completely like Jesus, like God in his perfections. Not all of them, but the ones that are transferable. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness. One day, we need to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to Maybe one creature one day, if you saw him now, you would be strangely tempted to worship. If we had eyes, they used to worship the angels, right, when John saw him. What would it be like for us to see those saints in heaven? We'd worship. We'd mistake them for Jesus. Or a horror and a corruption that you've never seen. What would it be like for people to see people in hell? It would literally scare us to death. That's what Lewis is saying. All day long, we are moving people from one degree of glory to the next. Everlasting glories or everlasting horrors. There are no ordinary people. The people we work with, the people we're married to are eternal. 
And it's our job to reflect the glory of God to them. And we can only do that as we seek and look at God's glory, as we listen to glory, as we stop about our busyness and running around and stop, look, and listen. I'll close with this. Why do I talk about stop, look, and listen? Because I'm a hyperactive person, and you should have seen me as a kid. I always ran out in the street. Well, not always, but in my early days, 15, 16, 17. One day I was four or five, and I ran out in the street. My mom came out of the house and spanked me in front of the whole neighborhood, pulled my pants down. I know, that's like, Mom, I know you're watching this. It's not abuse, but it's close. I was so shamed. I was so embarrassed, and honestly, she thought that would cure me. It helped for a little while. Sort of like losing your keys. You lose them the next week as well. Why did she do that? Really, I've never told this story Karen didn't know until I was thinking about it yesterday because when I was four, and I remember this vividly, we were in Trenton, New Jersey, and Mom and I were standing at the street in the city, and it was clear. I was looking, and I walked out ahead of her, or ran, and a car came around the corner speeding, and literally, I kid you not, it was feet away from hitting me, and there was no possible human way I could get out of its way. And the next thing I knew, I was on the curb. It was a miracle. And my mom keeps it in her heart every day. When I wasn't a believer and I was living wrong and sort of she'd wake and worry, you know how moms do and dads do. Friends, even when we don't stop, look, and listen, I don't want this to be legalistic. God saves us. God shines upon us. God loves us. It's our job to receive it and recognize it and shine it to a bright world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what can we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely delivered him for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? But the all things that you talk about are things that we can't even imagine because eye has not seen nor ear heard or heart can even imagine what you've prepared for the ones you love and are called to you. Show it your glory. Let us shine like you. On this Father's Day, let us remember, see how great a love God the Father has poured on us that we should be called children of God. Just like your Father and your Son, so are we. So thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the lights, the bright lights that are here. And Lord, may we make a difference wherever we are, in our community groups here. May we make a difference in our neighborhoods and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.